0: Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Chris Hardwick is probably hosting a TV show or podcast as you listen to me introduce him here. Four nights a week? Hardwick hosts the comedy game show at midnight on Comedy Central. Sunday nights, you can watch him talking with Walking Dead cast members and anyone else on AMC. He also hosts a primetime game show for NBC called The Wall. Hardwick currently serves as founder, CEO, and creative head of Nerdist Industries, a media empire under the legendary digital network that encompasses a website, YouTube channel, and podcast network, including his own Nerdist podcast that receives millions of monthly downloads. He's come a long way since co-hosting Singled Out on the MTV. You probably want to find out how he did it. So let's get to it.
1: In your chair about 20 minutes ago.
0: The Will Ferrell? Yeah.
1: Doing the podcast.
0: Oh, wow. So you get Will Ferrell and I get Chris Hardwick.
1: (laughs) You you probably should be a little disappointed by that. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I've interviewed Will. He is he is uh pleasing to He's talk to. He's great. Um but he doesn't have his own comedy festival yet. No. The ID 10T? No, he does not have his own comedy no. festival. Yeah. <laughs> Suck on that, Will Ferrell!
1: He's like the nicest guy. At the world.
0: <laughs> now it's it's supposed to resemble idiot but it's the ID 10T,
1: right? Yes, it's uh it's a, like a joke IT code, you know, so if you it was it's an old thing. It's if you called the an IT guy or an IT department, and you're like, my computer's not working. And they go, is it plugged in? Oh, I forgot to plug it in. And they go, oh, that's an ID10T. It was basically, it looks like the word idiot. It's just a way to... It just basically means user error. User generated error. And it's a way for them to make fun of you.
0: Just like the military has things like Snafu. Like Snafu, yeah. Like
1: like Snafu and Fubar. There's also... The other the other it one is uh, a which stands for problem exists between keyboard and chair. Ooh, uh, is another one. So, uh, but I, you know, I always liked id10t and I was able to get the uh, domain id10t.com and so uh, so that's that's
0: that's where a lot of that came from. So when did you get the domain nerdist.com?
1: I got, it was available. I got it in two thousand and I got two thousand seven. Okay, I got two thousand seven. Um, it was the first name that I thought of for the blog that I wanted to create, and I looked it up, and the only Nerdist that was taken was Nerdist, uh, I think it was Nerdist.org, maybe. <laughs> I think the .org was taken, and uh, it was just a guy who wrote about chess matches, and, but Nerdist.com was available. And so it was, you know, so were all the somehow other that seems fitting. Yeah, it was fitting. He went with the org and uh and wrote about uh, yeah, I think it was the org. We didn't have the dot com. And it was not you know, that was just the beginning that was like right around the time where it was like, Oh now you can get dot biz or dot TV or you know, all the right. different all the different um extensions. And uh, so I just grabbed as many of them as I could. And uh, yeah, and that was that was the birth of Nerdist.
0: Well, when you when you purchased that domain name, did you dream that someday it would grow into what it has? I mean,
1: I I think I always wanted it to grow. Um, I mean, I always had this plan that it would grow bigger than me, and uh, and I think it, in, in a way that's happened. I mean, it's definitely become its own thing, and and that was. When Because I, I had all the Nerdist social media handles that, though they were mine, my personal right. social media handles were Nerdist. And then about a year or two ago, I sort of realized, like, oh, I have my own voice, but Nerdist has its own voice. And I don't want Nerdist to be responsible for things that I say as a comedian. Right. And, and, and things that I'm doing are not all Nerdist-related, and all the things that all Nerdist is doing are not all me-related. So I gave Nerdist all of the Nerdist handles and then I just uh I took I took back over um at Hardwick on everything.
0: I identify slightly with that struggle as at the comic's comic. Right. <laughs> Well, yeah. Which is all my social media handles. And then some people go, well, you aren't the comics comic.
1: <laughs> well, well, but you are. I but mean, that's, that's I, your. I sort of
0: evolved into that. That's your brand. That's the through brand the, of the thing. That, through the secret. Yeah. And so, yeah. you became the thing you you envisioned I wanted. You envision it. And I wanted to be slightly write respected. It in a wish yet journal. Slightly respected by my peers, and yet. Severely underground. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like that—that's a
1: you know when you're at night, just like just clasping that uh, whatever that whatever parchment you wrote on, mm-hmm. on it to to have your dreams manifested. Uh, so if that's if that's what you wrote on that parchment, then it seems then it's working. What did you write on your parchment? What am I writing on my parchment? I don't know. I think I just I knew that I wanted Nerdist to cover a lot of sectors of pop culture that were beyond things that i was necessarily an expert on i always intended it to have a to be a lot of different voices mm-hmm. and so and and i you know I wanted it to grow have a bunch of contributors i wanted it to grow into um, uh, a video content uh site i wanted it to grow podcasts i wanted it to grow you know um we were we were really we were able to attach ourselves to a couple of movies but I really kind of had always wanted there, that was like the last frontier as like can Nerdist be a of tv and movie production company and then as we kind of started going along with legendary they had a tv product you know entity and then it just seemed like oh nerdist is really a you know like mainly a digital company and so that's why when i started Fishladder, um this production company with amc i was like okay that's nerdist is really the digital company and i don't own it anymore and even though I still run it technically right. fish ladder is my thing and that's that will be television but I still do want to make film like every once in a while I'll text Robert Kirkman and go you know we could just make a horror movie <laughs> and no one would stop us and he'd go I know but we're both so busy with stuff that we haven't
0: done it yet well if you just introduce that in one of the episodes of Talking Dead then it'll then manifest it'll manifest itself then it's a thing yeah because the internet will have grab hold onto the idea and make it happen
1: well it's fun cuz we are uh, we haven't announced it yet but we are we have sold shows to AMC. Like, we have sold shows that we've pitched to AMC. So that TV production thing is really starting to come into full swing uh, with this guy, Mike Clements, that I hired, who's great. And but, but film, you know, Lydia and I watch almost exclusively horror movies. Every time I watch a horror movie, I'm like, fuck, I should
0: be making – I want to make horror movies so bad. So watching Get Out, did that make that feeling – well, and I mean, Get Out one of those Lehigh? movies
1: where it can either inspire you or go, well, I'm never going to make anything that good. Right. So what did, <laughs> I mean, you, what did it do for you? Well, it inspired me because I don't have to make anything that good. I mean, I don't have to make – I don't have to redefine the genre, you know. And But what's inspiring about what Jordan uh, did is that um, it, he followed something he was very passionate about and he saw it through and he you know, he made the thing that he really wanted to make, and it I mean God, what an incredible <laughs> what, what an incredible first outing right and uh, and just everything about it was incredible. And so it's inspiring in the way of like, okay, you know I may have ideas that I want to manifest, and so I will you know I will stick to my guns and figure figure out what that is. But that this story, I think he always knew was it was a story that he wanted to tell. And uh, for me, I don't think that it's. Ne- I have pieces of horror stories that I want to tell, but I just haven't put them all down into like one, mm. one single arc. But every time I watch a horror movie, I go, God, I wouldn't have done so that. So right I now, it's more of a Tales from that. the Crypt situation. Well, I, no, it's not anthology. You're parts of an anthology. I know, no, but it's but it's just, uh, and we literally wa- we watch as much as we can, like because horror is one of those things where. You know, one out of every 10 will be really – two out of every 10 will be good. One out of every 10 – one out
0: of every 20 will be great. Maybe, that, maybe that's an even generous uh, estimation. Now, let me rewind just a little bit because the first time I met you, it looked like you were living a horror story. Because the first time I met you, you were at NACA. In Boston. <laughs> this must have been 2005 or 2006. Maybe 2005. It was one of those two That's years right around I was the time. in Boston. Yeah,
1: 2005, 2006. And
0: you were in a booth with uh, your compatriot, Mike Furman, and yep. Firm. You had green f- f- folders that you were handing out that had mm-hmm. a press kit. Yeah. Useless, uh, by the way. Useless at NACA. And I had plenty of time to talk to you. There, was no, there were not people coming up to your booth. Across from you, though... There were these MTV real world people who had a line stretching around the corner. Yeah,
1: that's the thing about NACA is that if you are not on something currently, which I wasn't, right. or if you haven't just performed, NACA is where um, the uh, college colleges come. It's a big conference every year and colleges come to – and there's a main one, there's a national one, there's a bunch of regional ones. And you go and you – you, if you're lucky enough to get through the audition process and submitting the tapes and everything and then – you get to perform there. It's great. And because then in, if you're great, they'll book you at they'll book all you. the colleges. And then, the and then you'll, you know, you'll book all your shows for the year at colleges, and it's incredible because uh, it, colleges pay really well. And, you know, it's like you kind of glide in. You do your show. You leave. But the problem is that um, it's it's all run by students and the students have very short attention spans and their attention spans are either something that's on TV, like that whoever the cast was on that time, or if someone's just performed, they'll come and book you. But if if it's not one of those two things, it's almost a waste of time because they're just not going to notice you because there's just too many other things for them that are in the front of their mind to notice. So we that was one year that we didn't perform and we learned like, oh yeah, don't go to NACA if you're not performing. <clears throat> Because it just wasn't. We just ended up
0: spending a lot of money and not, It didn't pay off. So how long did it take between that and, and two thousand seven when you got earnest to to kind of formulate? Oh, I need to be doing something more.
1: Um, it was well. I think it was in two thousand seven. Was it six or seven? No, it was two thousand seven. Um, you know, I was. Uh, I hadn't been employed for really. I hadn't been regularly employed in like four in five years. I think (laughs) Shipmates was, like, my last regular employment, and I'd done a couple things here and there. I was in the first production of Rock of Ages, and I did, like, a CSI. I was, like, it was very spare. I was not working a lot, and it was, like, after that NACA, I think I realized, like, oh, I don't really have any prospects. Um, I think I was burned a bit by the post-MTV world and Shipmates, and then... And then also just my lifestyle. I had previously been a, uh, a horrendous alcoholic, and so I quit drinking in 2003. And so I was really trying to rebuild my life, and, but a lot of people still had this impression of me as being, like, you know, drunk guy who used to work on MTV. Right. And in 2007, uh, I think after, you know, enough of those knack experiences where it's like, I want to be a touring comic but no one is coming to see me cuz I'm not on anything and they don't know that I do stand up and I have no prospects and I have no money and I don't know what I want to do. I was real 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 anxious and then um and then I just woke up one one uh, one morning and I just had this really calm clarity and I was like, "Well, what do I want to do?" I never asked that qu- I never really asked like what do I really want to do? What am I good at? So I just right. looked at like, you know, by 2007 I'd already had 12 years of hosting experience, and i had already been doing stand-up for um, nine years at that point, and, and I knew that I liked all of these things that you would classify in the nerd sphere. I liked all these things, so I just said, you know, I'm only going to work on things that I actually care about from now on. So, you know, because of the Internet and cable, everything, the digital revolution was really in, really in full swing at that point. So there were a lot of places where I could. It was always too niche to do the things that I really liked doing. So I said if there's a science show or if there's a technology show or if there's a, any type of anything that swings in the area that I'm into, I should host that or be a part of it or something.
0: Was Attack of the Show the first one? No.
1: The first one was um, as soon as I made this proclamation – it's you know it's funny that you uh said the secret i didn't i never read the secret I know I what haven't the, read it either. I know what the gist of it is though yeah. and but once I had set this intention within two weeks, this thing came along uh that Wired magazine was gonna do a science show for p b s and I was like, Sh- fuck, this is exactly <laughs> what I was talking about, and i I just went after it really hard and I knew that there wouldn't be anyone else who had as much experience as I had. And all that experience just means I know how to be me on camera and still get the information across. And I know that my voice is very much in line with Wired's voice. I felt like it was very much in line with Wired's voice. And so I got the job, met all the Wired people, became friends with them, started writing at Wired, contributing at Wired. And that show only lasted 10 episodes. But when it was ending they had me do guest gadget review on attack of the show and the guy who had been doing it took a job somewhere else. And then at the end of 2007, I had a job at G four. So it was, and I'd wanted to work at G four for the past few years, but I never had it. I didn't know anyone there. I never had a way in. so it actually, it all worked kind of the way that I had wanted it to. And then shortly thereafter, Nerdist kind of kicked into like, I really, I launched it and, you know, and G four had no problem with me promoting it on the, Because they weren't really paying anyone that much. (laughs) So they were very cool about like, you know, you can take other jobs, you know, you can promote your thing. You know, we understand. They were very cool about that. And so it was a really great place to work. And then that's that's where everything launched.
0: But you had Nerdist for a couple of years before you actually started podcasting.
1: I had it. Yes, I. Yes, that's true. It was about a year and almost two years, but a year and a half, almost two years before the beginning of 2010 is when we started the podcast. Is
0: that around the time that um, I remember you filmed a, a Comedy Central pilot in New York and we talked then? Yeah. And it was uh, vaguely similar to At Midnight. But, uh, eerily similar, but. Com- because it had comedians riffing on the. the it was headlines called Tonight's Funniest. Yeah.
1: And. Uh, and. Let's see. Who was on that?
0: Fuck. Sherrod Small and Christian Finnegan, I think.
1: Was Christian Finnegan on it too? And. Uh, uh, were, I think there were four comedians on the panel. Let me see if I can remember who else <laughs> was on that. Because it was a really interesting lineup of uh But as I'm looking for that, yeah, it was me hosting and there were it was supposed to be a, a daily show and there were, you know, comedians sitting behind a desk and it was just going through the day's funniest stuff. Now that show was created by Someone else and I—I I did not create the concept for At Midnight. That was created by a company called Serious Business. So they were right, completely right. separate, uh, completely separate entities. And at the time, I thought, yeah, Comedy Central should do a daily comedy show. It was, there wasn't the game element really. It was just—it was very loose, right. even looser than there At Midnight. Points, there right. weren't points. There weren't points. There was no. And points. it was just—it was just people making jokes, uh, and that—that's all it was and uh but what an incredible experience and th- but then that didn't go that was just that's just you know part of the fun process of television it's like you'll make a million pilots and almost you know right. 999,000 of them won't go um so you don't
0: always end up with three or four shows at a time
1: <laughs> you don't that is a very <laughs> rare unique thing that happens uh and so I was very I was very very lucky and uh but I didn't I didn't you know I didn't know. Oh, Joe DeRosa. Joe DeRosa was one of the other okay. comics, too. So uh, I, didn't, I didn't know what was going to happen with that. And nothing was the answer. Nothing happened with that. But, you know, it, it did pave the way. And then ultimately, when, it, when At Midnight, which was originally called Tweeter Dome, came <laughs> along, um, that, uh,
0: that, that all fell into place. Tweeter Dome.
1: Yeah, it was Tweeter Dome. It was because um, it was Funny or Die. Let's Series see if I... was created it. Yeah. Funnier Die was the studio, basically, mm-hmm. Comedy Central was the network. Tom Lennon and Ben Garant were executive producers on the show, so Tom hosted the pilot for Tweeter Dome, but never intended to host it if it got picked up. So it was Tom Lennon was the host. Mm-hmm. It was very much like an Iron Chef style g- thing. Um, the comedians were Natasha Legero, Kumail, and Weird Al, and Sarah Underwood was the co-host. Oh. And but it was all Twitter based games. Right. And I had pitched a show to Comedy Central when I left G Four. I was like, you know. It feels like with Stuart and Colbert, you're covering a lot of politics, but you're not really covering digital culture or Internet stuff. And so what if I were to do a hybrid version of Attack of the Show, but where Attack of the Show was information first, comedy second? This would be comedy first, information second, but it'll all be about, you know, just digital culture stuff. And right. then it'll, that'll fit nicely in with, you know, what John and Stephen are doing. And so we did the pilot. It was called um, Hardwired. <laughs> and uh, Steve Agee was a guest on the show. John Hodgman, Grace Helbig, Will Wheaton, and uh, and Comedy Central tested it, and they were like, mm, "I don't know, maybe not so much." But they said, "We did this other show called Tweeter Dome. Do you want to take a look at that and see if maybe you'd want to come on board that?" So I watched within 30 seconds of watching Tweeter Dome, I immediately was like, "Fuck, this is great! It's a structure mm-hmm. that moves the comedy along, but allows us to pull in a lot of stuff." And so we just spent the next several months redeveloping the show that ultimately became At Midnight. And we, ch- we changed the name because we didn't think it should just be Twitter. It should be any social media. Right. And I said, Let's, what if we just called it At Midnight because then that'll be the handle, and it'll also the name will also tell people that it's internet-y because it's at, you know, it's at right. midnight and it's the time of the show. And so we were able to get that handle, and,
0: and that was it. Ta-da. Yeah. Um, but back to Nerdist. Yes. Because... You know, you certainly. I mean, did you have it in your plans to, to not just when you started your own podcast to have a podcast network and then have a studio and then have a theater and.
1: I mean, I think I'm always looking for ways to tie things together, and I'm looking always looking for ways to evolve things. Like, you know, Nerdist was a blog that was just me, and so then I opened it up and and said, if any if anyone out there is passionate about anything, you can write about it, and I'll give you a platform. It was just starting to. You know, it was like, oh my god, a thousand people came today. You know, visited the site today. Like that was a very big deal, and so, you know, it uh, it it just started to grow organically, and then became its own thing. And so, I always wanted it to become its own thing. And then with with the theater, I remember going. We did a podcast with Kevin Smith at Smod Castle, which was in at the complex theater. There's a theater group on Santa Monica Boulevard. and we went there and he like he had a theater and he just did podcasts. And we're like, fuck, that's a great great idea. I had been looking for office space to do podcasts. I'm like, well, why shouldn't it just be a live performance space for comedians? So when I said that, that's when Jonah said, oh, you should talk to Gaston at Meltdown. Because, you know, we just started doing the Wednesday Night Meltdown show there. And I know they're not doing anything with the rest of the night. So maybe you could. And then so that's how we formed the theater. And with uh, podcasts, it was just such a revelation when we started doing it, like, oh, you can be yourself, and that's how you get your voice into the world because there's not a lot of stand-up on television anymore, and that's what comics need. They need their voice in the world so people can decide to come see them live. And podcasting was just perfect for that, and it was so targeted that the the podcast listeners are very passionate and they're loyal. And so I was just, you know, I would go to I would go to Kumail and be like, you have to do a podcast. It's the greatest thing and so then he you know then he started uh his game his indoor, game indoor kids. kids yeah initially had a different co-host but then um but then he realized oh i should just be emily right. uh and then pete holmes and then just like all these people and then so the, then before you know it it's like you're have five, six, seven eight podcasts and then you're a network and then other people are pitching you shows
0: and you already had the studio we before? already had the studio at okay. that point
1: uh at meltdown and it just, I, I mean, I always think it's good. It's just good to keep things consistent and try to see where everything's tied together. So it's like, okay, this will be like our clubhouse. We're at the back of Meltdown. This is where Nerdist in real life lives. You can come to see shows at Nerdist. You can see where the podcast is being done, which is up above the theater. Up, there's a glass, you know, windows there that you can see where it's being done. People can come hang out. And it, so it just felt very much in the spirit of everything that we were doing. So a- along the way, it's always about, you know, figuring out how to expand things, but then tie them together.
0: And were you the... Were or are the owner of all that? Or the boss? Yes. Or did you delegate someone else to do that?
1: Oh, well... The,
0: yeah. Everything kind of had its own
1: um, person who was under me, mm-hmm. but specialized in whatever that thing was. So, like, Emily Gordon was the first theater director at Meltdown, because she was the... She was the... One of the producers of the Meltdown with Joan and Kumail. So... She had experience doing that and so she was the first theater director for like a year and some change. And then with podcasts – you know, because ultimately what happens is you start doing things yourself and then you realize if I want this to grow, I need people who are smarter at doing certain things than I am. I know what I'm good at and I also just don't have the energy to do all the logistical stuff. I personally – was the editor of the website for the first year and a, and a while. And then I just couldn't do it anymore. And because I didn't have time or energy, it was sapping creative energy to have to do that work. Right. So I brought someone in who specialized in that. who was really good at that with the podcast. Um, I met Katie Levine who had been working for Corolla and uh, Adam was like, ah, you should meet this Katie. She's great. And you know, I think she probably love to do stuff with Nerdist. And then, uh, <laughs> and then so Katie who wanted to be a dedicated podcast producer Came on and then has, you know, beautifully produced the majority of our podcast because that's her field of expertise. And so that just took a lot of the me having to edit the intros together and put the intros on. I mean, all that shit just eats up time in the day. And I have no problem delegating stuff because I just, I trust people and I trust that they're going to do what they say they're going to do. And if they don't, then they can leave and someone else can come in. You know, it's like I'm very. I'm not, I'm, I don't think I'm hyper controlling in that way. I, I really do kind of let people do what they do. Did
0: you think that you were business minded when you were growing up? Did you not see Not particularly.
1: This no, I, I mean, I, I was, you know, I, I, I entered UCLA as, I mean, I always wanted to do comedy. I entered UCLA as a math major. I ended up in the philosophy department right. and I took some animation classes on the side. But I think at a certain point when I realized the business wasn't warping to my will (laughs) I think I just felt like well I'll just do it fuck it I'll just figure it out you know it was just like a it was because I was being so rejected by the business right? not as a conspiracy but it's just like you know they thought they kind of the business kind of thought it knew what I was about and it, it was and it said no thank you and that's totally fine but I you know there was a fun challenge in figuring out if I could You know, build build this stuff up myself, but then make it how I wanted it. Instead of trying to fit into someone else's thing, I guess I realized along the way, like, oh, if I have a direct relationship to the audience, then I can sort of amass the audience, and then and then I I just I don't have to worry about anyone else telling me what to do or telling me I'm not leading man enough or I'm not funny or I'm not handsome or I'm not you know whatever it is whatever million ways the business tries to reject you. Sure. And um, so that that's really all it was. But then at a certain point, I did get involved with people who were specifically uh, business people to run more of the the business business stuff.
0: Right. But the, the idea that you're – the feelings that you're talking about, plenty of people in show business have had those feelings and then with technology of the past decade been able to capitalize on doing their own thing. You're doing it right now. Whether it's a web series or a podcast. But very few of them then have the, the foresight – or the willingness to be able to go, oh, well, there's more than just me here. There can be a whole network of me's. And yeah. I can I can help steer this ship.
1: I guess so. I think sometimes, because stand-up is a very entrepreneurial endeavor, stand-up itself. I mean, you and I think anyone who is a stand-up is equipped to start their own business in a way because stand-up is really about... You're the product, really. You go on the road, and you're, you're, you know, comics are sort of like ad men. You're pitching concepts to an audience and understanding how to relate to them on a human level and how to make them relate to you. And you're in control of all of it. And especially now, because there's so little stand up, actual stand up on television, there's not, I mean, you know, now Netflix is, you know, flooding. There's like a ton of stand up. Right. There's a new special every week. There's a new special every every week, week. You know, but before that, there was not a. Even Comedy Central, there's still it's not like there's a ton, a ton of stand-up out there on, on television. So, you know, comics just had to figure out, okay, well, I have, to, I have to be a marketer now. And with social media, I have to figure out how to get my name out there so that people will come see me. So I think stand-ups are, are all kind of trained to do it. But I think where a lot of stand-ups can hit the ceiling is working with other people because you're so used to – and you see that happen all the time when people make the choice between stand-up or sketch and improv – Stand-ups really do like to control everything and sometimes it's very hard for stand-ups to uh, work in a group because they're just used to being the only Mm -hmm. entity. And so, you know, but for whatever reason, I don't have that – like I I like working with people and I am very collaborative and and so it doesn't – I don't have an ego about that stuff or I don't feel, you know, I don't feel like it's got to be all me, you know. Like even with that minute, I don't give a shit who says the funniest joke. I just want the funniest joke. It doesn't matter if it comes from me or one of the panelists or someone shouted it from the audience. So you know, I just um, I just love comedy.
0: Well, but you know, I wrote something about you. Well, I'm writing lots of things about you because you're so busy now. But I remember writing a year in review, maybe five years ago, and I said you were on the verge of becoming a big thing. Ah, you're like the break. I think I called you like the breakthrough comedian of the year. Nice. But I don't think I even imagined, and I wonder if you imagined that you would get to this point we're at now in 2017, where you have properties on multiple networks: Comedy Central, AMC, NBC. (laughs) How'd that happen?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think I uh, just—I don't that—that I don't. I mean, that's a—you know—to go from where I was ten years ago, where I would always get close to stuff. And it was like, oh, you're not X enough. You know, you're not famous enough or you're not, again, not handsome enough or not. And I would literally would get those notes. Or, you know, they're just going to – I know you went through this whole testing process, but they're just going to offer this to Joe Rogan. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. And uh, and so I think, you know, I just have an incredible amount of determination. And, and I think when I decided to start building my own thing, I was like, well, I'll just – if I just have the audience myself, then I don't need you. (laughs) And I think sort of that attitude of like legitimately just feeling like, oh, I don't need, like, I don't need to do anything. I don't want to do something about that makes people, uh, something about that makes people go here. Do you want this thing? (laughs) Because I think, I don't know when you're young and you first start out, there is a desperation where you definitely, people feel like you want stuff and need stuff, and you do.
0: Or like, I have to have all this accomplished by the time I'm 30.
1: Right, and so, uh, or it's just, I need to survive, you know, and it's very hard to, in a very natural way. But I think uh, it's, when that desperation goes away, it just makes people, I don't know, want to give you things, I think. I'm not not 100% sure, but I just think maybe it's this maybe it's this old kind of thing deep in our biology that um a creature that is needy we shun a little bit because we feel like what's wrong with it mm-hmm. why does it need things what's wrong with it but something that doesn't feel like something that doesn't need anything from you oh it doesn't need anything from me so it must have some sort of a strength that i don't have so let's just let, it'll survive. Let's throw more stuff on it. I don't know. I believe that's the definition of cool. It, I don't know if it is because <laughs> I don't think I ever have ever uh, felt that way in my literally my entire life. But, um, but I just think, you know, I, it was important. Stand-up was very important to me and will always be important to me. And, you know, then at a certain point, it was kind of just like I always loved playing um, SimCity or, or, or like the original, like the Warcraft when it was on CD-ROM where it was very much like a resource-building game and then you would connect things and you would sort of grow this little digital empire thing. And and then at a certain point, I realized, like, that's really fun for me. And so I think that's what I started trying to do with Nerdist. Like, well, what else can we do? How far can we go? And it doesn't matter if we fail at something. At least we tried or maybe that'll reveal something else. And so I think that's ultimately what it was. But you really do have to love what you're doing in order to do it or you just you
0: couldn't sustain the amount of energy that it takes right.
1: to do it day um, in
0: day out. There's also, you know, I guess I'm reminded of the phrase of like just doing the next right thing and not worrying about the letting go of the results. Yes, because a lot of people focus on what are the results. Do people like this? Do people like me?
1: Yeah, that's a it rough just... one. Yeah, go, re- result being result oriented is 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 almost impossible because you can't control. You can't always control. You usually can't control results. So I think goals are good as a roadmap. Like, oh, this is what I would like to achieve. But being flexible to learn stuff along the way or change your mind along the way as you get more information. But being result-oriented will drive you nuts because you just can't contr- – and it's hard not to do it. But you just can't control Well, especially
0: people. when you're – like you and I are involved in the internet. It's all based on clicks and hits. So you can spend all your time focusing on the traffic or on the comments. Well, yeah, well, yeah or on the numbers of how many followers do I have? And
1: you really, sh- I mean, like the comment threads of anything are just depressing. It, they're just depressing. It's even even if you don't even really care about the thing about the article that you're reading, you just look at the comments. People are just so shitty to each other. they to each other. Not even about the. They might be shitty about the article, but they're just shitty to each other. And it's sad because. They're shitty to each other because they're unhappy and they know they can get away with it because no one's going to track them down. So they can just be, it's just, it's humanity at its worst because it's humanity regurgitating all the shit that it feels at each other because it feels like I can get away with this. So it's like, it's just a form of sad, acceptable bullying that comes from a really, it's like, you know, when you go back, if you ever talk to any of the kids who were bullies in your school, and you're like, well, I really hate that fucking guy. That guy was a jerk. And then you find out like, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, my parents were fighting the whole – it's like you just find out how sad they were right. and then you just feel like, ugh, that's, I feel terrible. That's the whole reason to go to reunions. <laughs> <laughs> just to feel better about – When's the last reunion you went to? I've never been to any of my reunions. Oh. Not, I, I went to th- – I, I, I started high school in Memphis and I went through my
0: junior year in Denver and I graduated oh. high school in L.A. So I just sort of like – I didn't, know which, feel one an attachment, to, didn't so. know which one to go to. Um, I know you've been joking uh, this past year on tour about how to deal with the comment threads and your wife, Lydia, giving you some advice about oh, yeah, that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, who else has been good about giving you advice on just managing your career as it's gotten so big? Um, um, my manager, Alex, is really smart.
1: I met Alex and he was like 28 years old. He, found, he saw me at the improv. I had just quit drinking. I was just starting to turn my life around. And uh, he emailed me out of the blue and he was like, hey, I'm a manager. Um, you know, I manage. This was like in 2003. I managed Jim Gaffigan. I managed Louis Anderson. I managed John Panette, I managed Todd Glass. And his his sort of his sort of goal was to manage more established comics, comics like Louis and John, uh, Louis Anderson and John, John Panette, But then also, so that he, but he had younger comics that he really liked that he would help try to leverage into comedy clubs. Like you know, Gaffigan was. Right. Was really just a, a a touring, like just doing clubs for no money when when I first went there and uh, and I really liked Alex and he was really smart and I've been with him ever since and he's you know great guy no no drama whatsoever he's just a problem solver and thinks very much long term never says take a job because of the money he always says take money out of the equation is this something you want to do and I, th- he's very rare in this business you know he's just very
0: he's a very rare bird but something we talk about in here. uh probably quite a bit, is people talking about their lives getting too big. Mm-hmm. So how do you keep that – For how do you keep, keep too grounded? Too big? What do you mean? You know, when you quit drinking, you said you, know, you, you had no prospects and things weren't going right, on. Right. And now, 14 years later, you've got so much going on that it, it took us months to find 30 minutes to talk. It did, yeah. I'm sorry about that. No, it's fine. It, <laughs> sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. I just keep asking. It worked, and though. It, and it works. Mm. So, But when life gets this big and busy – how do you how do you stay grounded in i mean i guess i just focus on whatever i can get
1: through in a day mm-hmm. there's probably a little bit of you know um aa philosophy and i mean i i don't i'm i i don't go to aa i don't have anything against it i just don't i mean i have a therapist mm-hmm. you know so i but there's but there's aa philosophy that i go well i just get done whatever i can get done in a day and if i'm focused on at midnight today and i have a podcast in the middle of the day i'll do that and then tomorrow is the next thing that I have to do, and I'm a, and I have a great assistant, and she's great with the calendar, and she's great at managing stuff, and um, and that's really all the best you can. That's the best you can do. That's it. And, and then also not realizing that uh, you know, several years ago, I thought I had to fill every minute with stuff, and now realizing, like, oh yeah, no, I don't.
0: <laughs> you can so just hang out with your wife. And- I can
1: hang out with my wife. So that's uh, that's that's been very helpful too. And she's very grounding and very cool about about stuff and so uh that's that's a really nice element of my I hope i can be that for her because <laughs> she's very much that for me
0: now of course the diy i'll close with this the diy you know ph- philosophy worked great for you sure over the past 10 years but so much has changed yeah with technology what kind of advice would you give somebody who's just trying to start their own nerdist empire uh well
1: at the time I wrote down everything that I knew I was good at and everything that I knew that I liked and wanted to do and then I looked at what else was out there to just see if there was a gap and I really felt like there was a gap. When I started Nerdist, there were there were tech sites that had correspondence and then there were comedy sites that maybe do, but didn't really talk about tech. There was no one that had all the hosting experience, the comedy experience and the spheres of interest that I had who was had their voice any prominently out there that I saw. And so, um, you know, there was a quote on the wall at, I think, in La- at Laughing Skull in Atlanta. Which is a comedy club in Atlanta. And it's a Bill Hicks quote, and I always butcher it. But the gist of the quote is, like, the gist of the idea is the more you you are, the less competition you have. So it's sort of like if someone goes, why would I start a podcast? Like, well, then, if anyone said that, Well, there's so many podcasts. Yeah, I know, but there's a lot of comedians too, but there's still comedians that start every day. You know, you just, they're not you. So you just have to be you. And however specific you are, and the more, you know, the more you you are, instead of trying to be something to someone else, which was my big revelation in the business when I stopped trying to be something to other people and just was me for me, that's (laughs) when everything changed. So that's it. And, you know, don't be afraid to. Look at businesses and see how other people uh, do stuff, and ask questions and get advice, and you know, um, don't don't you're all you're always going to be a student, always. So never never stop learning and never be afraid to try things. And and you know, if you try something and it sucks or it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. Just learn from it and do something else. I mean, people's attention, their memories are short, so you can do something really stupid and fail with it. And the beauty of the internet is that if it sucks. Most of the time, people just don't pay attention to it. If it sucks so royally that it, like, memes, then maybe you can do something fun with that. I mean, there's, right. like, there's... you. It's very hard to... on day. F- Rebecca Black. Right. It's very <laughs> it's very hard to fail unless you just quit. Which, if you don't want to... If you're not passionate about the thing anymore, then do something else.
0: Well, thanks for not quitting, and thanks for figuring out how to be the one, the only Chris Hardwick. Well, I
1: appreciate it. Thanks for always being very kind to me, and, uh uh... And thanks for, you know, not being annoyed by my constant presence on things. I appreciate it. <laughs> Maybe you are. I don't know. But I appreciate that you've always been very thoughtful. And I do feel like you, you really do. Um, you don't write in a way which I see a lot of sites do, which is like, I'm going to try to show you how fucking how incisive I can be, <laughs> how much I can take shots. I feel like you're very fair and balanced and, uh, and it's very meaningful in a world where people are just trying to, you know, clickbait and, um, you know, just be shitty for shitty's sake because they think that's what that's what readers want, I, I, I appreciate that that oh. you do that. Thank you, Chris. Absolutely appreciate that. Thank you. Last things
0: first. This episode of the Comics Comic presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brezel at Showbiz Studios